Hey, I'm Nick Crawford, and uh, I'm the group's pastor here. I, I got a message for us that I think uh, hits pretty close to home for everyone here. Um, I know that because uh, we've all made our mistakes. We've all messed up. We've all hurt ourselves, and we've hurt other people. And um, if you're like me, you can, you can be left wondering, like, what do I have to do to, to make that up? How, how do I go about fixing what I've messed up? And, and sometimes our, our mess-ups, we come to know that our mess-ups are really too messed up to fix, and we're left feeling used up and beyond repair ourselves. Look, we, we stand in the way of our own potential. We all need someone to see our potential and to help us rise above ourselves. We all need someone to give us a second chance. And today I get to set the table for this sermon series that we're calling Second Chances. And I'm excited about this, okay? Here's why. Jesus came. He really did come. And he came to give us a second chance. All we have to do is accept it. But how can we accept it when we're beyond repair? Well, we're going to answer that question in John 4 today with the story of the woman at the well. But before, before we get there, let me reframe it for us, okay? This is a very familiar story to many of you, but the title of the story is a misnomer. You see, the woman at the well is not the main character in the woman at the well. Jesus is. I want to reframe this story because I believe if you, if you look at the woman at the well and you identify her as a woman of great shame as opposed to a woman of great courage— then I believe, I firmly believe, that you'll also tend to identify with your own shame as opposed to your own great potential. She's a sinner just like us, and she needs a second chance. She serves us by highlighting a proper response to the gospel. John's gospel is not so much a book or a destination so much as as it is a direction. He writes his gospel like a tour guide, directing us straight to the Savior, of the world. John sets out to answer two questions in his gospel. Who is God and what has God done? In fact, in, at the, towards the end of his gospel in chapter 20 verses 30 to 31, he's very clear about his purposes for those two questions. He says that I gave you, he, he, he says that I chose some stories, some events that he calls signs, kind of like signposts on the road. He says, I gave you some signs so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So who is God? Who is God in this story? God is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Savior of the world. What has he done? Jesus came to give us a second chance. That's the main idea. From the outset, that's the main idea. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and his message moves through sinful people to save others. The gospel presents the gift of a second chance. It's not a stagnant doctrine, but a rushing stream of living water. All we have to do is receive a drink. But here's why that's really hard for us. Here's why that's hard for us. We like to stay put. We like to hide in comfort. When we feel exposed, we throw up walls and we create barriers that actually stop the gospel from moving to us, in us, and through us. The good news, though, is that Jesus never stops pursuing his people. I want to show you how the gospel moves, how the gospel moves in the heart of a believer. The gospel creates a relationship. The gospel transforms a relationship. And the gospel sends us out. 
We're going to be in John 4, verses 1 through 30. Let's pray before we read. Father, you are gracious. You are so gracious. You're a king on high, but yet you came down to us. You sent the Savior of the world, your Son, to give us a second chance. Help us to identify the heart of a second chance. Change us from the inside out. When we, look our, when we lift our eyes today, help us to see the Savior of the world pursuing us and wooing us with the grace that only he can give. Let us find our satisfaction in Jesus. Amen. Verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making disciples and, bat- and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for, Ga- for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in- of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, that's actually noon, okay? And their, their clock started at dawn, so that's about 6 a.m. March six hours forward. We're talking about noon here, all right? At noon, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said, I, who you speak to, am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. 
All right, quick background. Let me, let me set the scene for us today. Jesus is on the move. He's on the move. He's traveling from Jerusalem in Judea in the south up to Galilee in the north. And there's a little region in between these two called Samaria. Now, most Jews would take the long way around. They'd go around Samaria because there are a lot of man-made barriers between Jews and Samaritans. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus shatters barriers. Look at verse 4. He says that, that he had to pass through Samaria. The Savior of the world had a divine appointment. Jesus chose this route, and by the time he got to the well, he was tired. Jesus was fully God, yet fully man. He felt pain, thirst, weariness, and hunger. So we see the Savior of the world here with real needs. It's noon, and it's blazing hot in the desert. He's tired, thirsty, and worn slap out. That's important. That's important for us today because we need to know that the Savior can empathize with our needs. He can empathize with our needs because he had needs too. Jesus understands what you're going through, and he starts right where you are. The gospel creates a relationship. Jesus meets you right where you are, and he offers a second chance. Three things here in verses 7 through 15. Three things, okay? The woman, the word, and the water. Verse 7, let's look at the woman. A woman from Samaria came to draw water.
but that's not my daughter. I don't see her like that because I know her. She is real to me, and I love her very much. So when I see her, I see her future. I see a white dress, pure, clean, and unstained from the world. That's why I like to dress her up in these pretty dresses. And that's how God sees you. We all need to know that today. The Savior of the world has come into the world to dress you up and make you look pretty. He sees your potential, not your shame, race, or religion. He meets you right where you are, and he initiates a relationship to offer you a second chance. So when did you meet him? When was the last time you were at the well with him? I don't mean this. I mean, I'm saying, like, when did you meet him? I don't mean, like, reading the Bible and writing down some facts about him. No, I'm saying, like, when did you last let him touch your heart? And let me tell you this. When I read the Bible, I have a specific goal in mind. I didn't go to seminary, so we can all do this, okay? I have a specific goal in mind. When I read the Bible, I want to know God because I know for what Jesus did for me that I can do that. I have access to God through Jesus. So when I read the Bible, I can know him. So I ask him. I ask him four questions every time I read the Bible. I say, who is God? What has he done? Who am I in light of what he has done? And what do I do? Those first two questions help me to know the gospel in every single passage of Scripture. The last two help me to apply the gospel to my heart so that I am changed because of what Jesus has done and not because of what I am somehow able to do. People come to me and they always say, hey man, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. I'm telling you, we need to have a come to Jesus talk today. We don't come to Jesus. He's already there. He's wooing you with his grace, with his limitless grace, and he's right there speaking to you in the word. Do you need some alone time with him? Augustine said, Lord, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. Are you rested or are you restless? Are you tired and worn out? Maybe you're running to broken cisterns that can't hold water. To what or to whom do you give your affection and your attention? If it's not God, then there's a good chance that that's why your, your, your tank feels like it's on empty. Look, Jesus meets us right where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. He loves us too much to leave us where he met us. Even though the woman couldn't taste the water yet, Jesus kept pursuing her. He's not satisfied with shallow, superficial, surface-level relationships made up of impersonal facts. Jesus wants to grow deep in relationship. So what we have here, we have first the gospel creates a relationship, and it transforms the relationship. Jesus draws you out of hiding so you'll worship in the light. Jesus knows our problem, and the woman highlights it. He exposes her in love, but she evades him. The exposure, verse 16, look, he says, he says, go call your husband. Right there, he exposes her well. He has identified the place that she's been going to meet her needs and quench her thirst. He's showing her that she was trying to get her water through men and it wasn't working. So she had to keep going back to the well. Sacrifices in the Old Testament had to be repeated over and over again, just like a trip to this well. But Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice, so one drink from him satisfies forever. He makes it so you will never be thirsty again. In love, Jesus exposes her because he didn't want her to stay in the place that couldn't satisfy. She has to acknowledge her true thirst before it can be satisfied. And look what she does. She evades. 
Jesus is pursuing her heart, but she evades him. It's ironic, too. All that energy that she spent going to the well in the blazing hot sun, she was trying to avoid the shame of that question. And Jesus goes right there. Just like he had to go to Samaria, Jesus invades the forbidden places. Why? Why would he do that? Because of who he is. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of the world. He wants to heal what's broken. He invades her space and he gets personal because he loves her. But she covers up. The gospel has just exposed her, but she evades the truth with a lie and a change of subject. She lies. Verse 17, she says, I have no husband. Jesus knows the truth. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're with now is not your husband either. He's not shaming her. He's not shaming her. He's showing her why she needs a second chance. Jesus is lovingly drawing her out of hiding. He goes beneath the surface, and he breaks down her walls. But as he does, her instinctive walls shoot back up. Listen to it in verse 19. She gets all formal. Can you hear it? She says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. She began by calling him a Jew. It's like, hey, 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 man, hey, white guy. That's like disrespectfully informal, right? Right? That's where she goes. But now he's like all sir to her. What's changed? Her walls are up and she's keeping him at arm's length. She changes the subject from her sin to a debate about worship Funny thing, though, her problem is a worship problem. She's just worshiping at the wrong well. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, so he's not confined to a place, and neither is worship. In the Old Testament, once again, Jerusalem was the place where worship was offered to God. The temple was God's dwelling place. And people came from all over to offer their sacrifices there. But Jesus became the sacrifice, so we don't have to go to a holy place over and over and over again. In the same way, the woman doesn't have to repeatedly return to a dry well. You see, Jesus exchanges her dry well for an all-satisfying one. He reveals himself as the great I Am. He sees her potential. She says, I know Messiah is coming. And he replies, I am he. Right there, Jesus takes up the divine name of God, same name that God revealed to Moses at Mount Sinai. Jesus is the great I am. He satisfies, and he is worthy of her true worship. Now, you met my daughter a few minutes ago. Meet my son if you don't already know him. His name is Coy. Cute name, right? Yeah. yeah so all y'all having babies out there. Don't be taking his name. His name's Coy, all right? In the Bible, names are important. Names are important. If you knew someone's name, you knew their character. So it was a really big deal when Jesus revealed his name as I am. Koi's name has deep meaning, too, that speaks to the Christian identity. The name of Koi actually means out of the woods. But lately, my boy Koi, he ain't been living up to his name. All right? Let me show you what I mean. Lately, he's been coming up to me and kind of locking eyes with me and using his cute voice. Now, he's, my son is a very verbal three-year-old. He can say daddy. He can say it real well. He says it all the time. But when he, when he wants something, he uses that cute voice. You know what I'm saying? He says, dada. Yeah? He comes up, locks eyes, and he says, he says dada, you stay here. I'm going to go in here, but you don't call my name. 
code. Let me translate that for y'all. Let me break it down. He's saying, you stay in here while I go in there and go destroy some stuff, right? He's three. Three-year-olds destroy some stuff, and that's what he wants to do. He's asking me for permission to go and hide so he can go and tear the house down. Yeah? (laughs) Not on my watch. No, sir. I know what he's up to. I know what he wants to do. That's cute, but we're just like that. God does not intend for his people to stay hidden. In fact, he gives the church a name that literally means called out ones. Christians have been called out of darkness and into the light, but we love to go and hide. So let me ask you, when you feel exposed, what do you do? Do you cover up? We're like the woman at the well, and it's so sad, but it's so like all of us. She lies and she avoids because she's so accustomed to hiding. Hiding is second nature to sinners. We hide, deflect, avoid. We cover ourselves by our own cunning, cleverness, and vices. We just don't feel that thirsty so long as we got a pretty good place to go and get what it is that we want. We avoid the truth, and we throw up our own walls. So let me ask you again, what is your deepest hurt? What about your greatest longing? Do you trust Jesus enough to go into that space? He's the Savior of the world, and He wants to heal what's broken. He wants to go to the deepest places. He wants to change your heart. Let me say this. I don't believe that I can faithfully preach this passage without saying this too. Maybe maybe you're divorced. This quite likely is a passage about a divorced woman. But the same Jesus who calls us to sacrifice for our marriages is the very same Jesus who offers this woman living water and a future brimming with hope. Divorce is not the end of her story. It's just a chapter. So if you want to grow, even in a dry season, go deep with Jesus. There is no other well that satisfies. Jesus draws us out of hiding and he changes changes who we are from the inside out. So the gospel has, it creates a relationship, it transforms the relationship, and then the gospel sends you out. Jesus always, always, always draws people in to send them out. Verse 28, I love this. She leaves her water jar. She leaves her water jar in zeal for other people. She's fundamentally changed and she can't wait to tell some people. She no longer identifies with her own needs, but rather with the needs of other people. And she runs to them to offer them the same second chance that the Savior of the world just gave her. She left her task of drawing water for God's task of drawing people. That's a sign of true discipleship. It's a sign of a transformed heart, one that's been transformed from an internal focus to an outward focus. The woman at the well is sent as a witness. Women couldn't be witnesses back then, but Jesus changes that. She's now a witness to the truth. She goes back to the same community that ostracized her, and she tells her story, and Jesus is the hero. She says, come see a man. She drew attention to the one who exposed her and gave her a second chance. She proves that the gospel's personal, but it's not private. She's out of hiding, out of shame, fully exposed, and yet totally okay. She was a person of great shame, avoiding everyone. Now she's a person of great courage going to everyone. She no longer seeks seclusion and isolation. She seeks to be with others. She tells her story. She's no longer consuming. She's now contributing to the advancement of the kingdom. Verse 39, 
This is a little bit beyond our text today. Nine verses past the last one. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Don't miss that. Samaritans, the despised, degenerate outcasts, and less thans. The gospel is limitless. It's for every tongue, tribe, and nation. Church, the mission of God is always about people, not projects. Walton Elementary School is in our community. It's in our backyard. And they're on the brink of faltering. So let me brag on our church just for a minute. Dozens, dozens from this church went out, painted murals, bathrooms, hallways, did some yard work. One of the guys got off work at 6 a.m., took an hour at nap, and showed up with a chainsaw. And just about everybody who went has already come back saying, hey, I want to go back before the next planned day. But let me tell you the best part of the story. The best part of the story is that the relationship is now going both ways. Let me tell you what I mean. The principal, the staff, and the PTA all served with us. They even surprised us by having their cafeteria workers fix us lunch. We enjoy table fellowship with the people that we had gone to go serve. Isn't that cool? They even invited Van, our missions pastor, to their very next PTA meeting, and they presented him with a great big thank you. Van bumped into one of their teachers a couple of days ago at a restaurant, and she wouldn't even let him eat. That's a problem. She wouldn't even let him eat. You know, y'all know Van. I love Van. But she wouldn't even let him eat because she was thanking him so much. All right? The church, you, the church is a witness to the gospel. And the mission of God is really about people. It's not about projects. The gospel comes to us that it might go through us. Jesus crossed every barrier to reach people in need. What people can you reach? Think about it in your group. Pray. Pray, ask God what's next. Who can you reach? What barriers do you need to cross? Maybe it's the street. Maybe it's the hedge that separates your yard from your neighbor's yard. Maybe it's the partition of your office cubicle. Whatever the barrier, those outside the kingdom need to see signs of living water. They need to see the Spirit at work in us before they'll take any step closer to Jesus themselves. Do you have a story to tell? So church, how can we change? How can we change from comfortable consumers to kingdom contributors? How can we change? We can change because Jesus thirsted. If he hadn't been thirsty, he wouldn't have gone to the well of Jacob, one of Israel's greatest heroes. He wouldn't have offered what Jacob never could, living water. Water that you no longer have to return to day after day, sacrificing and laboring just to satisfy a need. Jesus was thirsty because he became a man. He was God, and yet he let himself become weak and tired. He became a man, and he meets you right where you are. Jesus thirsted, and praise God, that wasn't the last time he did. From the cross, he said, I thirst. And that was a deep, intense, spiritual thirst. More deep than we can ever imagine. That was Jesus paying the price, atoning for our sin. And his sacrifice makes us at one with him. In Jesus, we can know God. Now he's offered us a second chance to cover us with his limitless grace. That's the gospel. In Jesus, God meets you right where you are. He changes you and he sends you out to tell some people. I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that the next time you see the woman at the well, you don't see a woman 
of shame, but a woman of courage, because that is who God made his church to be. Let's pray.